Acts chapter 6. I'm going to read the entire chapter. This is the story of Stephen. It's 15 verses. So listen carefully. And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom ye, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicornor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the, of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned, suborned them men which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came unto him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witness which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses, Moses delivered us. And all that said in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we bow before you right now in your presence. We just thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for your blessings that we don't deserve. I just pray now that you would come right now. Fill this building with your spirit, dear God. We pray, Lord, that everyone here may block out the thoughts and worries of our daily lives, Lord, and we just may concentrate right now to hear the Word brought forth to God and that you may speak to each one here in a way that may challenge and correct us if needed. To God, I just pray, Lord, that your will be done in all things said here today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> Title of the sermon, Living with Momentum. Momentum. Okay? Look at our church right now. Do you see us having a little momentum? I do. Okay? Momentum. Uh, I looked up the definition of momentum, and if I read it to you, you'd be like me and say, huh? So I dumbed it down to my terms. Here's what momentum is to me. When things are going your way, now, that's nowhere close to an actual definition of momentum. But in my mind, that's what momentum is. 
I use a lot of sports analogies because that's where I, the way I grew up. Uh, whatever sport I wanted to pick. Uh, Carly's here, so I'll pick softball. When momentum, if you've ever been a coach before, you know that when momentum is going your way, you do some things that you normally don't try, don't you? When momentum's going your way, everybody gets a hit. Even the girl or boys, if it's baseball, that ain't very good, they got to get a hit. Like, how'd that happen? You lay down a bunt, and it goes perfect. And the coach sees we got a little momentum going. So he tries some things that sometimes he may not try. Like, for example, a hit and run. That's a perfect example. The kind of momentum needs to be going your If things ain't going your way, you don't do that. You don't make that call. And I could go on and on and on how in sports, when momentum is going on, is going your way, it's a good thing. And as an experienced coach, you know when I have momentum, I better take advantage of it because is it going to last? Not likely. Because there's an opponent over there on the other dugout or other bench who wants to stop that momentum, don't they? Okay? So to stop the momentum, I coached at Antlers. Mike Neighbors coached at Antlers. We had momentum. The other team had more mo had more momentum. Mo That's a tongue twister. The other team often had more momentum going than I did. I didn't get to enjoy the momentum moments very often, but I did got, get to enjoy trying to stop the other team's momentum. Did I get all this straight? So I know how to stop momentum. I had to do it regularly. What's the number one way? Mike Neighbors, what would you do if the other few is coaching basketball? Another team made a 15-0 run on you. What would you do? Call timeout. Call timeout. That's number one. If you know anything about sports, that's the first answer. Every coach, when you say, uh-oh, this is not going our way. Time out. You've got to stop that momentum, don't you? Try to. Quite often it works, don't it? If that don't work, you try something else. You make some substitutions. You've got to do something to stop that momentum. In basketball, there's an extreme thing that I tried on occasion. I don't know if Mr. Neighbors tried it very often or not. But when things really got out of hand, a coach will make a fool out of himself and intentionally get a technical foul. You ever seen him do that? Be a referee. I dare you. They will do it. And there's many times as a referee, I go over and say, Coach, do you want to? Yes, I do. I'm desperate here. Why would you intentionally get a technical foul? To stop the other team's momentum. Sometimes to fire up your own team. Sometimes to fire up your fan base. Because when a referee and a coach gets into it, the fans are going to back up their coach every time, aren't they? Even if he's wrong. You've got to do something to change the momentum and try to get the momentum going for your team. Now, what's that got to do with us? Well, 
I just went completely off my notes, not even close, so let me get back to them a little bit. I see us as a church having a little momentum going. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. First of all, not us, not me, not you, Him. If you come to church Sunday night very often, you've heard us talk many times. What can we do? What can we do? Do we need to make a little few changes? Do we need to do something here? Do we need to do? What can we do to get things going the way we believe they should be going? So, if you are aware of that, you see, don't you love seeing new faces in church? If everybody would come at the same time, we'd have 50, 60 people, wouldn't we? Easily. Go back to Acts. Chapter 6. Why do I see momentum? Is it because just because I see some faces in church? No. I know God is using us. That's the main. God can use five people just like He can use 50 people. That's my priority. Lord, use us. If we just got five people, use us. I'd rather have 50 people. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm not going to stop. I, 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 want, I want to spread the Gospel and help those in need no matter how many people we have. That's the momentum I see the most. Now, you may not be aware of all of it. I shared a little bit last week. I could share more with you right now from the last week as far as God doing things through us. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. Not just, we got a few more people in church. Thank you, Lord. I'm glad we do. But that's not what it's all about. Too many churches are way too concerned about the number that shows up. And not near concerned enough about helping those in need. As long as people are here, they're happy. You know, I like people being here. Don't misunderstand me. But this is not our purpose, is it? Our purpose is to reach the lost and spread the gospel and help people in need. That's our purpose. And we need to keep that in focus. But as momentum gets going, go, why did I read Acts chapter 6 about the story of Stephen? Let's look closer. I kind of read through it quickly so maybe you wouldn't notice. What happened in very chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is the beginning of the church. Everybody agree? The New Testament church has started. You would think things are going to go amazing, aren't they? What happens in verse 1? The very first thing that happens when the apostles go out and say, let's get to spreading the gospel, chapter 6 verse 1 says, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, we got them a little momentum going, what happened? There arose a murmuring. Somebody started complaining. If you've been going to church very long, you've been a part of hearing that. That's, we're humans. I'm not excusing it. And don't anybody take this the wrong way. To my knowledge, we have no murmurings. None. Zero. Now, you may have something to keep to yourself. Keep it to yourself. <laughs> I don't know how to say that. Okay? Please. 
Unless it's something major, come let me know. Because this was a pretty major thing to these people. They went to the apostles. The apostles worked it out. Right? Got it all fixed. Everything went great, right? Verse 7, they got it fixed. There was some complaining. They got it fixed. Sometimes you got to fix a few things in church, don't you? That's part of it. Verse 7, the Word of God increased. Man, this is momentum. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Even a great number of the priests were obedient to the faith. Man, things are going great. And then Stephen stepped out and started preaching, didn't he? Amen. Stephen, good job. What happened to Stephen? I didn't read it in this chapter. Read the rest of the story. What happened to him? They killed him. That's a pretty good momentum stopper. How about you? That would make me think, you know, here we go. We're going to go to town and, and we're going to go witness to people and we're going to spread the Gospel. And the next thing you know, you sit there and watch me get killed. Is that going to encourage you to go back the next day? No, what's it probably going to do? It's probably going to keep me at home, man. A little momentum buster there, ain't it? Did Jesus have to deal with momentum momentum busters? Oh, go back and read them if you've never thought about it. From day one, the day that He stood up in the synagogue, church, and announced to His church family. Okay? Think about this. I've got a few family members here. He, he, Jesus stood up in church and read from the Bible and said, I, this is what He meant. He didn't say these words. He said, I am the Messiah. He was. Okay? Man, that's momentum, ain't it? Here, God's plan fully coming, starting to happen. Can't get no better. Jesus says, I'm here to save all of you. And what happened? You ever read it? His own church family wanted to kill him that day. They led him out of the church to kill him. You ain't the Messiah. You're just a Oh, carpenter Jesus. What are you talking about? His own family wanted to kill him. That would have slowed me down. How about you? Did it slow him down? No. He snuck through the crowd, got away, read the stories. Pretty interesting, I think. And went on about his business. Jesus faced other challenges. How about one of the twelve? Judas, right? Did Judas try to slow Jesus' momentum? Sure did. He, think, he thought he was doing the right thing, didn't he? And you could go on and on and on. Uh, I'm trying to... When Jesus said the words, Get thee behind me, Satan. Everybody knows that passage of Scripture? Jesus said the words, Get thee behind me, Satan. Who was He talking to? Satan? 
I'm going to get to it in a little bit. I'm going I'm to read it to you. But I'm going to tell you right now. He was talking to Peter. Let that sink in. His chosen man. He looked Peter straight in the eye and said, Get behind me, Satan. Quit trying to slow me down. Now, Peter was not Satan. Go back and read it. Okay? But Peter was allowing himself to be used by Satan in that moment to try to stop things. Jesus said, it's time for me to go hang on the cross. Now this is my translation. Jesus said, it's time for us to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. Peter said, no you're not. No, I ain't going to let that happen. Jesus looked at him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. This is God's will. Quit trying to slow me down. Quit trying to stop our momentum. Let's get going here. Who is our opponent? In a sports event, it's really easy to tell who the opponent is, right? Look on the other bench. There they are. They're the people that's going to try to stop what you're doing. Our opponent is not so easy to see sometimes, is it? It's not because the devil's smart, ain't he? He's smart. But, let's make no doubt. Don't want to step on any toes here. But our opponent is not the Russians, the Chinese, our own government. Let's get even a little closer. It's not the Democrats in Washington. It's not the LGBTQ, whatever those letters are. It's not Black Lives Matter. Our opponent is Satan, folks. He's the one that's going to try to mess us up. Now, might he be using those things I just called off to interfere with his momentum? Oh, I believe he is. No doubt in my mind. I could be wrong. But they're not my enemy. We've got to know who we're faced up against here. What he can and cannot do. The more in sports, the more you are aware of your opponent's capabilities, the more you can take advantage of it and use it for your benefit. That's why coaches go scouting. What can my opponent do? What are they good at? What are they bad at? Where do they have weaknesses that I can take advantage of? Where do they have strengths that I need to watch out for? Satan knows me well. He will use any means within his limited ability, because he has a limited ability, to try to stop our momentum. First Peter. Let me get to my verses here. I got a bunch of verses. First Peter. Chapter 5. Very famous patches of Scripture here. Verse Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant. What's that mean? Get your brain turned on. Pay attention to what you're doing, right? Watch out. Be careful here. 
Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, who? The devil. He's my adversary. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 say, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, here's what I do. Okay? There's an enemy out there. He wants to mess us up, don't he? Okay? What do I do about it? Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. And we could read the whole armor of God. There it is. Read a few more verses. I'm not going to. Take the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. I got to be prepared, don't I? Know who our opponent is. Expect him to do something to stop the momentum. If we're a dead church, the devil will leave us alone, won't he? Yep. I ain't doing nothing. I got more important things to do. The more momentum we get going, the more we're going to get his attention. He's going to say, hey, I need to slow that, that group down over there. They're accomplishing a little too much. They're trying to reach too many people. They're helping too much. Now, He is limited. Okay? He can't do anything we don't let Him do. I ain't worried about Him one bit. But He can interfere. I look at our world today, I believe that's why... I'm going to read this so it saves a little bit of time. I believe that's why you see a huge push in our world today with evil taking a much braver step than it ever has in my lifetime. No doubt, right? No doubt. Sin and evil are openly unashamed. There's always been sin and evil. Okay? They ain't afraid to hide it anymore, are they? No. Open. They are stepping up and doing things out in the open that they've never done before. Why? My opinion. I believe Satan sees the game is almost over. And I think he's looking around thinking, I better do something quick. Now, Satan knows his destiny. He knows where he's headed. Okay? So, he can't do nothing about it as far as stopping his day that he's going to be cast into the lake of fire. He cannot stop that. He knows it. But what can he do? It's what he's been trying to do since he went to Eve. He wants to take as many of us with him as he can. Because he knows, like my sermon last week, he knows that I am God's most precious creation. He knows that. 
So if he wants to make God mad, infuriate Him, He wants me. He wants you. He wants us. He wants me to have to spend eternity in hell with Him as punishment to God. He don't care nothing about me. Don't misunderstand that at all. I'm a nobody. But if He can make me go to hell with Him, that's payback to God. Now this is my way of looking at things. This small church right here in Hall, Oklahoma, the more we do to further the kingdom of God, the more we get momentum going our way, the more He's going to want to try to interfere with it. So we need to be on the lookout. Keep your eyes and ears open. Stay focused on the Word. Matthew chapter 16. And do the will of the Father. Don't be selfish. I want, right? I want. What does God want? What's going to bring Him honor and glory? Reach out to those in need. And when the devil calls a timeout or does whatever he does, don't affect me. Don't affect me. Don't affect us. Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to look at this. I, I mentioned it a while ago, but I got it in my notes, so I want to read it. This because it, it, it's important. Matthew chapter 16, verse 20. Start right there. Then charged he, this is Jesus, then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So very early in Jesus' ministry, he, he went to, to the apostles and said, here's what's going to happen. They're going to kill me. But don't worry. Three days later, I'm going to come back to life. You'd think after he told them this over and over and over again, when it happened, they wouldn't have been surprised, right? But they were surprised, weren't they? Okay? But then I look at that, how many times did Jesus tell us the same things over and over and over, yet when they happen, we're surprised. It's all right here, folks. Just read it, believe it. It's pretty simple. But he turned and said unto Peter, what, I, I skipped verse 22. Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? Here's Jesus, the Son of God. And Peter was brave enough to grab, I don't know if he grabbed him by the arm, he said he took him. Okay? So I kind of picture, he took Jesus by the arm and went over to the side and said, No, Jesus. You brave enough to tell Jesus no? I'm not. I mean, I, I may do it sometimes by my actions. But I... I Peter says, Bid far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. How did Peter feel right there? How would you feel if Jesus himself called you Satan? I'd feel pretty ashamed. How about you? Thou art an offense unto me. 
For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. We need to be on the lookout. Notice the challenge to Jesus right there came from within His church. It didn't come from outsiders, did it? Peter, God's chosen man, right? Peter himself. Satan was able to use Peter to try, he didn't, to try to slow the momentum. Momentum. Don't be a Peter. Everybody let that sink in. Don't be a Peter in that moment right there. Now, Peter went on to do great things. Don't misunderstand me. Right? It's all recorded. But Peter struggled at times, didn't he? As I do. Sometimes I get selfish. I want things my way. Don't I? Peter wanted it done his way, didn't he? No, Lord. I know this is what you said, but that's not what I want. Here's the way we're going to do it. Now, get back to my dad. My dad told me when I started preaching, Wes, you don't know what you're doing. You better make sure. When I was a kid, I wasn't always aware of the things that he went through in churches. As I got older, I heard some. But he dealt with a lot of problems in churches. I love this church right here so much. And I told him while he was still here, we have no problems, Dad. I, 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 can't, I can't name a one. Not one. But there, yet yeah, that, I've been asked by kids. Carly asked me here a while back. We had this conversation. I told her how many times I've moved in my lifetime. Kathy can relate. Not kidding. I've lived in 36 houses. And the last 30 years has been in the same one. So that tells you how often we moved as a kid. Why didn't we move that much? I don't know. I was a kid. I just moved. Okay? I just hung on to my little precious creation every time and my little trophy. I'd be sure I left with those. Other than that, I just went where I was told to go. One of the reasons was because of church problems. Church problems. And they'd vote him out, we'd go somewhere else. Sometimes a year later, they'd vote him out, we'd go somewhere else. Sometimes a month later. I, I can't relate to that at this church, folks. Not, not at all. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. But I watch and I listen carefully. Because when I see momentum going our way, I'm smart enough to know. Watch out. Be careful. Don't let the devil get a foothold and cause some problems. Don't be the person that he's going to try to use. Just a challenge to us. I love this church so much. I love every one of you so much. I do not dread coming to church any time. Sometimes I don't feel like coming, right? My body's getting old. But not once do I ever wake up and say, I dread going to church today because of oh so-and-so. 
I, I, I never had that thought. Dad used to say it. All, all they're going to do is cause me problems. I, I, I can't say that. Thank you, Lord. Don't be that. Alicia, will you come if everyone will stand and bow their heads? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You. I lift Your name up. I praise Your name. God, I thank You for this Word. I thank You for this amazing group of people that You've put together right here. Dear God, I just pray, Lord, that You would continue to use us in a mighty way to reach the lost, to help those in need. God, I pray, Lord, if there be any right here today, Lord, that knows You not as their Savior, today may be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.